Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is Pastor Nathan Hawkins. And turn to James chapter 4. Thank you, Angela. Uh, What a powerful reminder. I'm going to talk about the uh, song that she just sung a little bit today and try to tie it into what I believe God's put on my heart. And um, James chapter 4 is where we'll be at. I really want to pick up um, where we left off Sunday night. How many was here Sunday night? How many saw the message, watched the message, heard the message? I encourage you to go back if you did not. And especially if you have teenagers in your life, um, the social media culture and what they're living in. Tried to give some warnings and some the lies that the culture tells us about. But I want to pick up, to be honest with you, we could take all six of those and dive deep into all of those uh, in God's Word. But I want to take a thought, and if you remember, I used a verse out of James chapter 4, and I want to kind of go off that verse, go off this thought, and if you'll follow me, we'll end up uh, in an Old Testament story that I believe is going to show us and demonstrate and display to us what I'm trying to talk about tonight. So let's start in James chapter 4. And really, what we talked about Sunday night was how the social media culture is warping our mindset in the way we see life. But what we tried to do is we tried to look at the lie, and then we tried to look at Scripture and fight the lie with Scripture. So when we refocus and refresh our minds according to the Word of God, then we start to see our lives for what it is and how we should live them and what I should do and how I should treat my husband, how I should treat my wife, my children, my co-worker. When we start to see, when we start to uh, take the scales off our eyes and look at our life through God's Word. And one of the most powerful passages, and I just used one verse of it Sunday night, is... Uh, found in James chapter 4. Let's pick up, let's read um, a few verses here. Verse 13. So this is all introduction, but I'm going somewhere, so just kind of follow me. We'll flip to a a couple different passages here in just a moment. James chapter 4, verse 13 says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? What a question. Can you think of a more sobering question to ask somebody? What is your life? And the Bible answers, it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is what? So, Sunday night we talked about this revolution that took over our world called social media. Okay? And really it's behind any revolution that happens in our culture. It's what does the enemy use in whatever platform it is, whether it's social media, whether it's television, whether it's music, whatever. It's all about distracting us from what life is really all about. 
okay? So the Bible asks this question, what is your life? And then it answers the question by saying, it is but a vapor. You're here for a little bit, and that's it. Um, I've heard it summed up this way. At the end of your life, on your gravestone, you'll have a date that you were born, and you'll have a date that you die, a year that you were born, a year that you die, and in the middle, it's just a dash. And that's all that our life is. It's just a dash in the moment of time. So if that's true, if that's all my life is on this earth, is just a vapor, then every day I wake up, I should live with purpose and intention and focus and discipline every single day because it's just a moment. It's just, I just got this little moment of time to live my life, and that's it. So I should get as much joy as I can out of being a husband and a wife and a mom and a dad and whatever job I have as an employee. I should try to put all my effort into that. But as Christians... Our life is so much bigger than our jobs. Our life is so much bigger than our family. Right? We have a bigger purpose. And so what I would do, I would really take my focus, my discipline, my self-motivation, and I would put it toward, as a Christian, what really matters. So let's agree on two things tonight before we go any further. The two things in life that really matter... Okay. No matter if you're a teenager, no matter if you're a saint of God, no matter where you are in life, the two things that really matter are this. Number one, what you personally do with Jesus. Correct? And then number two, who I lead to Jesus and how and who I invest in with my time, my talents, my abilities to disciple them in Jesus. That's the only thing in this life that will matter and that will last, okay? And you may say, well, that's great because you're in full-time ministry, so that's your goal, that's your job, that's what you should do. You're a pastor, you're an associate pastor at this church. So that is your goal, that's your mission. But no matter what phase of life we're in, as a parent, as an employee, as a boss, as an owner of a company, as a teacher, as a coach... Whatever you could label yourself at what you do, as a believer, you should be investing in people around you. You should be investing your time, talents, abilities to bring people to Christ and to see them grow in Christ. Right? Can we agree those are the two, those are the only things that matter. The only thing that I'm going to live, leave on this earth when I depart, the only thing is the investment I've made for eternity through leading people to Christ and discipling them in Christ. Right? And in fact, in case some of you, I feel like you're buying in, but some of you are still just staring at me like, I don't know, maybe. So what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say when he was on this earth? What did he say? Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I could, I could just read this, but I want you to see the verse. While you're turning there, let me just review what James 4 says. Because I just, when I turned the page, I saw it. I want to emphasize it really quick. So while you're turning to John 13, I'm going to read you the last verse we read in James 4. It says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good... And doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay, pretty powerful verse, right? 
So a lot of times in life, this is, we focus on our sins and our checklist of sins as you know, what we hear in the Ten Commandments. So we're pretty good at the big sins, okay? Don't lie, don't cheat, don't murder, even though you say, I'm never killing anybody, but Christ said, well, if you have thought evil against someone, it's the same as murder, okay? So, but we won't even go down that road. So we got lying, stealing, immorality, murder, and so we use this big checklist of sins, and at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, end of the year, I, I did pretty good, right? I feel pretty good about myself. I did not kill anybody this week, even though I felt like it, but I did not. I didn't, uh, I didn't cheat. I didn't steal money. I didn't do those things. So we feel good. We, compared to everybody else in this messed up world, I feel pretty good about myself, right? But then you read James 4 in the last verse. Because it says, For him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay? So keep that in mind. And let's read what Jesus told us to do in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Jesus said that the greatest testimony to the world that you're a Christian. Jesus said that the greatest testimony to the world that you're saved. Jesus said that the greatest testimony to the world that you're a disciple and a follower of him is not your church attendance. Is not how many Bibles you own. Is not if you can quote John 3.16. And is not if you know all the world words to amazing grace. He said, the greatest testimony in people knowing that you're a disciple of mine is how you love people. Period. Okay? So you take the... Is that not sobering? That's sobering. When I read that, even though I've heard that taught on, I've heard that preached on, still... As I just read it in my text, when I read that verse, that is sobering and that is strong. That the, the greatest, listen, he's, you could say whatever you want to say, you can act how you want to act, do all this, but the greatest testimony and the fact that you're a Christian is how you love people. That's what he's saying. So you take that, what Jesus told us to do, and then you tie it back into what I read at the end of James 4. For him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, It is sin. You know what I believe is one of the greatest sins in my life on a weekly and daily level? It's the sin of omission. Okay? It's the sin of omission. It's, I know I should do things. I know I I should be investing in people and discipling people and witnessing. But sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's difficult. But I know that I should. Okay? Listen, I went through four years of Christian college. I graduated from a Christian school. Like, I know what a Christian should do. But sadly, my greatest sin is the sin of omission because I just don't do simply what I know to do. I was convicted Monday night sitting out at a restaurant in Asheville. I had a great opportunity to witness and to be a light to my waiter, and I just didn't. Can I just be honest? I just didn't. I could, it took just a minute or two to tell him about Jesus, invite him to church, something, but I didn't. 
And I knew that I should, but I didn't. And here's what I, that's, this is what I want you to think about. Is the times in our life, if, we're, if truly, and Jesus doesn't lie, so this is truth. If that's our greatest testimony, and is how we love people, then how are we doing? I'm talking about me, I'm talking about you as a church. So how are we doing? So let's, if I'm going to love people how God has told me to love people, then I'm going to have to understand the love of God, correct? And to understand the love of God, then I'm going to have to understand the heart of God. So if I'm going to love people the correct way and the proper way, that God, how God wants me to love people, then I'm going to have to become a man or a woman after God's own heart, right? If I'm going to love people the way that God wants me to love people, then I'm going to have to study God and how He loved people, study Jesus and how He loved people, and become a man or a woman after God's own heart. So does that ring a bell with anybody here tonight of somebody in the Bible that was a man or a woman after God's own heart, and who was it? David, right? Now, let me ask you this question. Was David perfect? I love David. I use him a lot in my sermon illustrations. Because David, it's so easy to look at a life of David and then feel encouraged because God used a messed up man. And he was still used. But yet when he messed up, he would get right. Isn't that encouraging? It's encouraging. So watch. You know why I believe uh, David was a man, called a man after God's own heart? It's because, okay, you have the David and Goliath, right? I would say that's a mountaintop for David, defeating the giant, right? And then, just like everybody in life, we have our mountaintop experiences, and then we have our valley, like low, low, low points. And that would be David and Bathsheba. I mean, you have, when you say David and, you're either going to fill it in with David and Goliath, his mountaintop, or David and Bathsheba, his valley. So you have the mountaintop of David, you have the valley of David. But you know why I believe God described David after a man, as a man after God's own heart? is because what he did here in the plateaus of life. Okay? I think it also had to do with how he responded to conviction and the prophet Nathan. But I really believe that David was called a man after God's own heart is what he did in the plateaus of life. Because you're not always going to be in the valley and you're not always going to be on the mountaintop and most of the time you're going to be right here. So what we do right here determines a lot about us. And I want to show you a story of what David did when he was right here. And apply it to if we're going to love people like David loved people. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And this is all introduction. Wow. That's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read the first verse and the last verse of 2 Samuel chapter 9. So verse 1 says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Look at verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. My title tonight is this. Who's at your table? That's my title. Who's at your table? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, I thank you for God's word. 
Lord, I'm glad that you love us. I'm glad that we could sing a song reminding us how much you loved us. But God, I pray you'd help us to love people. Lord, the greatest testimony we have is how we love people. Lord, I pray you would do something in our hearts that only you can do. God, get rid of the pride. Get rid of the sin. God, get rid of the things that would hold us back from loving people like we should. And God, may we be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to see through these 13 verses of 2 Samuel chapter 9 on how David loved somebody. And then apply it to our own life and see if we love people like this. And I promise you, if you're open, if your heart's open to the Word of God, and you truly look at how David loved this person, we will all leave here convicted. All of us. Because we all can improve in this area. I can improve in this area. And even as I studied this afternoon, I was convicted even in my office. And tears, I mean really tears, because I know I fell in this. But let's look how David loved this person. Number one, I want you to notice in this story the pursuit of David's kindness. Look at what it says in verse 1. It says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show him the kindness of God unto him? Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. So number one, if we're going to love people, like God commands us, we're going to have to pursue kindness. Notice how the passage starts out. It starts out with David asking a question. It starts out, David asking a question, is there anybody left of the house of Saul who I can show kindness to? Hey, if we're going to love people like God, we're going to have to pursue opportunities to show people kindness and to show people love. Sometimes they might fall on our lap, but most of the times we're going to have to look for opportunities because you could be like me on a Monday night sitting in a restaurant, tired, busy, and the opportunity fall in your lap. And because I'm not pursuing the opportunity, because I'm not asking the question, because I'm not searching, because I'm not looking, I'm going to miss it. And if we're going to love people like God's asked us to love people, just like David did here, David was probably at one of the most comfortable positions in his life. He finally was the king. He was finally on the throne. Think about everything he went through to get to that point. He was finally there, probably at one of the most comfortable positions of his life, and yet that's the time he chose to go pursue kindness. Hey, is there anybody... Is there anybody I can show kindness to? If we're going to love people like God, we're going to, have to pursue opportunities. It could be a coworker, It could be a waiter or a waitress. It could be a neighbor. It could be a friend. It could be opening up your home to a person or a group. It, inviting someone to a lunch. Like There's tons of places this could happen, but we have to be aware of it so that we're pursuing opportunities to show people the love of Christ. Alright? But here's the best part. Verse 3 says... If I'm only offering people my kindness, it's going to be very disappointing, okay? Because my human nature is not to be kind. I preached on it a few Sundays ago. What's our human nature? It's to seek our own things, right? So it's not my human nature to be kind. But look at what he says in verse 3. The Bible says, David said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of who? Mm. 
See, it's not our kindness that we're offering people. If it was my kindness and my love and my generosity that I was going to show a lost and dying world, it would be nothing. But what I'm offering them is the kindness of God. That's what I'm pursuing. That's why I should be passionate and focused because that's what I'm offering. So my kindness will fade and come up short and get this. My kindness will always have self-motivation, self-motives behind it. Always. My kindness will always have my self-motives behind it. I'll be kind to you if I can get something out of you. Right? That's just human nature. But God's kindness will change lives, will go the extra mile, and will always give grace and mercy. Always. So aren't you glad that I can offer God's kindness? See, it would be a very wasteful endeavor if all I was going to do is just try to be kind so I could get a pat on the back. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm going to try to show somebody the love of Christ so that their life will be changed and so that I can disciple them. We just read the verse, what is our life? It's but a vapor. Pastor Rory, me and you have talked about this for months and probably years. What's the most valuable thing we have? Time. It's the most valuable thing we have, time. And all of us get the same amount. We all had 24 hours today. And that you made a choice to come here and to spend your time in the house of God, right? And I know who I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to the people who made the choice to come here. So the fact that you would even come here on a Wednesday night and to spend your time in the house of the Lord shows that you might be a little motivated to pursue some type of kindness for other people. Right? But here's my thing. If I'm going to preach God's word to you, and I don't want to waste this 30 minutes I have. I mean, you didn't come here to waste your time, did you? And I'm not up here wasting my time. So that's what I'm talking about. Pursuing kindness with focus, with passion. And then if I'm really going to understand how David showed love to this person, I'm going to have to understand he pursued kindness, but also I have to understand the person of his kindness. Ready? And then I'm going to finish up here with the promise of kindness. But watch this. The person of his kindness. Number one, I want you to notice about the person. I want you to notice his relationship to David. Look at verse 6. It says, Now when Mephibosheth... It's a strong name. Strong name. Pastor Winston Nahash, remember Sunday morning? Name your child Nahash. I think Mephibosheth would beat it. You call him Mephib for short. Hey, Mephib. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, if you're going to understand the person that David showed kindness to, you're going to have to understand his relationship to David. What does the Bible say? So he was the son of Jonathan, which was a friend of David, but he was the grandson to Saul. Question, Saul and David, enemies? Yes. Mortal enemies. Saul tried to kill David on multiple occasions, and David had many opportunities to kill Saul, or at least a few, and he chose not to. So here's what you have to understand about this person. Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul. So here's what that tells us. That Mephibosheth was the only person on the face of the earth that had right to the throne that David was sitting in. Think about that. He was the grandson of the first king of Israel. And he is the only person on the face of the earth that had any type of right to the throne David was sitting in. 
But David said, I want to show him kindness. Wow. He was a threat to David. He was an enemy to David. But not only his relation, but what about his rejection? Notice where he was found in verse 4. He says, And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, this is verse 4, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar, for lack of a better summation of, about this city, I mean, obviously in Bible times, and we even mentioned this a little bit, I think Pastor Winston mentioned it Sunday morning, but the further you got away from Jerusalem or the big cities, the less, you, the less appealing it was. So Lodabar was all the way on the other side of Jordan. So think about this. A person who was born destined to be the king of Israel. A person who was born destined to be the prince of Israel is now in a place on the other side of the Jordan River, far away from Jerusalem, who once lived in Jerusalem, but now he's dwelling in Lodabar, a place for the rejects, a place for the losers. That's where he was, in Lodabar. He was rejected from the royal family because his family was no longer in the royal line of Israel. And he was rejected in a place called Lodabar, forgotten about, and probably nobody knew he even still existed, except, guess what? Even to, find, even to find where Mephibosheth was, he had to ask all of his servants, and only one of them knew where he was. Only one. So not only his relation, but his rejection. And what about this? His restriction. You say, what do you mean? What was his restriction? Look at verse 3. At the end of it, it says, And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan, hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. See, Mephibosheth had a restriction. He couldn't walk. The Bible says that he was lame on his feet. And really, that's a sad thing to even hear somebody who was lame on his feet. Well, was he born with it? Well, the Bible tells us exactly what happened to Mephibosheth and why he is lame on his feet. We turn just a few chapters over, backwards, sorry, to 2 Samuel chapter 4. This is so important. This is so important to realize why Mephibosheth was lame. Because it really will apply to how we should love people. Look at what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. Now listen here. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. You say, why is that important to understand how he became lame? Make sure you get this in your mind. So here's the servants of Saul and Jonathan, and they're taking care of five-year-old Mephibosheth. I can really, really picture this in my mind because my son's almost five. So here's five-year-old Mephibosheth playing in the floor, playing with toys, however you want to imagine it. The word comes, hey, Jonathan and Saul is dead, and they're coming after everybody. Get Jonathan's son and get out of there. And it says, in haste, the maid goes and picks up five-year-old Mephibosheth and is running for their lives. And the Bible says that he fell, she dropped him, and that he became lame on his feet. You say, why is that important? It's important to understand that Mephibosheth was dropped on accident. 
And that from that point on, from five years old for the rest of his life, he was labeled as damaged for life. He could never walk. He had to be carried everywhere he went. You say, why is that important to understand the love that David showed him? Because there are people that we come in contact with on a daily basis and they've been dropped on accident. And they're dealing with hurts and problems and pain that we could not even describe because somebody dropped them, because somebody hurt them, because somebody caused them pain. And they've been labeled damaged for life. You'll never be used again. You're never going to be able to do that again. And they've embraced it. They've been labeled that. Listen, do you realize what's the greatest part of my ministry on a weekly basis? Now listen, I love preaching. Like you don't understand how much it rolls through my veins to preach God's word. And I love it. But you know what my highlight is to on a weekly basis in ministry? It's when I get in one of those white Ford vans on a Thursday night and I leave this parking lot and I drive to downtown Asheville to the rescue mission and I pick up six to eight people and I bring them to celebrate recovery because you know what I'm understanding the more I talk and the more I try to get to know them that they're not in that place because they chose it. They're in that place because somebody hurt them and they were dropped and they've got a lot of pain that they're dealing with and they've been labeled damaged for life. But with God's help, we're trying to tell them that there's a God with a love so big that he sent his son to die for him. And that's why we have to understand why he was damaged. Our, if we don't, our love stays on the surface. It stays right here. I try to get to know him. Try to find out why they're there. One of the young ladies looks at me and she said, first time I did drugs, I was shot up by my foster dad, 16 years old. That's, that's broken. That's damaged. And if we're going to love people, we're going to have to understand that how they act and what they do is a byproduct of what they've experienced. Not only the pursuit of his kindness, not only the person, and here's the last part, the promise of David's kindness. And then I'll be done. This is it. This is where we live, right here. Number one, the promise of his kindness. I want you to notice Mephibosheth's new relationship. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 10. What does the Bible say? Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land from him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba and the fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my Lord hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Hey, if you're going to understand the promise of his kindness, you're going to have to understand that Mephibosheth got a new relationship. Now, no longer was he an enemy to David. 
but the Bible says he actually became as one of the king's sons. So that means when David got on his royal chariot, guess who got in with him? Mephibosheth. Anytime David sat down with his sons to have a meeting or to have a meal, guess who sat at the table? Mephibosheth. But not only did he have a new relationship, but I want you to notice the acceptance. Notice the acceptance here. It says that Mephibosheth... Skip on down to verse 13. It says, So Mephibosheth dwelt... Where does it say he dwelled? Oh. Where does it say he dwelled? So he's in Lodabar! The place that he was rejected and shunned to. And David says, I'm going to show you kindness. And guess where you're going to dwell for the rest of your life? In Jerusalem. The place where you started. The place where you were destined to reign. That's where you're coming back to. So notice his new relationship. Notice his acceptance. And then this is just, this is the icing on the cake. You ready? Notice his, well, let me just read it and then we'll get into it. Ready? Verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelled in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually. Isn't that good? See, our kindness has an expiration date. We say, I'll be kind, I got two months, I got three months, I got four months, I got a year. But our kindness usually will end. But God's kindness, it says, so he did eat at the king's table continually. And notice the last seven words. The most powerful seven words of the whole chapter. What does it say? Look at it. And was lame on both his feet. I want you to notice he had no restriction. You say, what do you mean? He still was lame on his feet. That's the point! Isn't that good? See, here's the thing. When people come to Christ and come and sit at our table, they're still going to have problems. And they're still going to have issues. But the only thing that changed when they come sit at the king's table is that they're finally accepted. And they're no longer defined by the problem and the issue that they had. That's the love of God. And see, here's, here's the thing. We sit here tonight and we're going to go out into the world and you can say, that's a good message. I love the story of David Mephibosheth. It really touched me. But nothing will change in our life. Nothing will change in our life until we realize that we were Mephibosheth. That was us! We were rejected. We were an enemy of God. We were sitting in Lodabar in our sin. And we had a restriction. There was no way we were going to be able to get to the Father. But God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And the Holy Spirit drew us. And He said, come sit at my table. And now I'm one of the king's sons. And I still got problems. And I still have issues. But it doesn't define me anymore. I'm a child of God. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So who's at your table? We need some Mephibosheths at our table. Because we were invited at a table we didn't belong.
And may God help us to go love people. So this is my heart. I'm not going to give an invitation, but I want us to go out and do it. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, just for a moment. Would there be anybody here tonight? Maybe you've never accepted the invitation to come eat at the king's table. Maybe you've never accepted Christ to be the Lord of your life. Tonight would be a great night to accept Christ. It will change your life. Change your problems. You'll still have them, but you'll no longer be defined by them. Anybody at all say, Pastor Nathan, pray for me. I need to accept Christ tonight. Would you raise your hand high enough so I could see it? I see one. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Those of you who raised your hand, I'd love to have a pastor talk to you guys before you leave. Would you do it? You just raised your hand. Would you come forward and talk to one of these pastors sitting right on the front row? I have Pastor Dwight. Would you get up out of your seat? Those of you who raised your hand. Come on forward. Dear God, we love you. God, I thank you for what you did in our hearts. God, I pray nobody would leave here without the assurance of their salvation. And God, may we go love people the way you called us to. We're not going to be perfect, but Lord, your word has created us, has given us a plan and a way. And when we understand how much you loved us, it's going to be the natural reaction to go tell somebody. God, I thank you so much for the word of God that changes lives, changes hearts. God, I ask you to give us opportunities this week to pursue kindness. God, put something in our path that we can show somebody the love of Christ. And Lord, we'll be looking, we'll be searching, and God, we'll thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. But it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian church. That's God, that's personal, that's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when he speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed, that couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, though not one. Today is the day of salvation. 
you can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror. The guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.